Hi, everyone. I'm still in New York, and I've got a gigantic episode on tap for you today. I recommend listening to it in segments. It's broken into several different parts, so I've made it easy for you. I'd like to begin with a tribute to the great Harry Belafonte, who died this past week. In 1990, he sang magnificently and memorably at the memorial service for Jim Henson at St. John the Divine. At the time, I was singing in the choir, and therefore I was present at this performance of Turn the World Around. And that is exactly what this great man did. So let's pay brief tribute to him and to his memory. We come from the fire, living in fire. Go back to the fire, turn the world around. We come from the fire, living in fire. Go back to the fire, turn the world around. We come from the fire, living in fire. Go back to the fire, turn the world around. We come from the water, living in the water. Go back to the water, turn the world around. We come from the water, living in the water. Go back to the water, turn the world around. We come from the water, living in the water. Go back to the water, turn the world around. We come from the mountain, living on the mountain. Go back to the mountain, turn the world around. We come from the mountain, living on the mountain. Go back to the mountain, turn the world around. We come from the mountain, living on the mountain. Go back to the mountain, turn the world around. Do you know who I am? Do I know who you are? See we one another clearly. Do we know who we are? Do you know who I am? Do I know who you are? See we one another clearly. Do we know who we are? Do you know who I am? Do I know who you are? See we one another clearly. Do we know who we are? Whoa, so is life a body So is life. Whoa, so is life a body River wash the mountain, fire make the sunlight turn the world around. Heart is of the river, body is the mountain, spirit is the sunlight turn the world around. We are of the spirit, truly of the spirit. The spirit turn the world around. We are of the spirit, truly of the spirit. Only can the spirit turn the world around. Whoa, so is life about you Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. Each week, you will encounter me, Daniel Gundlach, as your host, guiding you along a magical route that will bring us closer to the voices of those singers that most enchant and transform us, no matter what else is going on in the world. Thank you for joining me on that path.
Today's episode is all about great Mozart tenors. At the top of many people's list is Fritz Wunderlich, who was, let's face it, the ideal Belmonte, Don Ottavio, Tamino, Ferrando, a matchless singer who died far too young. I'm going to begin and end the episode with Fritz at the very beginning of his career, singing two arias from less familiar operas. First, from 1956, a live performance in Ludwigsburg. Here is Welch ein Glück from Die Gärtnerin aus Liebe, also known as Que Belta from La Finta Giardiniera. We will hear more of this opera later in the episode, but for now, just delight in the musicality and exquisite voice of the young Fritz Wunderlich. I mentioned that I was going to be breaking the episode into digestible parts, because this is going to be a long one, no two ways about it. I thought first I would play contrasting and complementary versions of some of the big Mozart tenor arias, and in doing so, discuss the different kinds of voices that thrive in this repertoire. Let's begin with Così fan tutte and that delectable aria, Un'aura Morosa. My dear friend Janet and I recently saw the production at the Komische Oper, which was an unmitigated affront on my sensibilities in every possible way. I hated it from start to finish. Well, I didn't even stay for the finish. We looked at each other at the first act finale and just said to each other, uh-uh, let's get out of here, and which is what we did. We won't have to listen to any of that kind of mishigas today. I only have beautiful singing for you. Just a few short weeks ago, 
the Peruvian tenor Luigi Alva celebrated his 96th birthday. So I thought it would be a nice way to begin the episode with Luigi Alva. This was a legendary performance, the only opera conducted by the young Toscanini protege Guido Cantelli, who perished tragically in a plane accident before the year was out. This is a classic production from the Piccola Scala in January 1956, in which a very young Luigi Alva, his voice never sounding more beautiful than it does here, performs the first part of Unaura Morosa. When the Unaura Morosa theme returns, I'm going to cut to a live performance from Boston of the great African-American tenor George Shirley singing My Love is a Flower in English translation. You'll note that Shirley's is a very different kind of voice, much more, God forbid me again for using this word robust, but a more substantial voice, one with, I would say, more color, just as much style, and what really makes a difference in Mozart performance, exquisite taste, phrasing, and musicality. And that can be accomplished with voices of any size, but always maintaining, this is what's important to me, the connection to the body that is also so crucial to singing well. Whether it's a light voice like Luigi Alva or a more substantial sound like George Shirley, we will be hearing examples of both kinds of singers today. Here is George Shirley.
Now we're going to hear the two big arias of Don Ottavio from Don Giovanni. So often, Ottavio is presented as a sort of namby-pamby, a colorless, wimpy character. I don't like hearing performances like that. That doesn't mean that he has to be sung like a bull in a china closet. But I have, again, two contrasting examples here. First, of a lighter voice, and second, of a more substantial sound. We begin with the French-Canadian tenor Léopold Simoneau, who in the 1950s was one of a handful of the greatest Mozart tenors in the world. He sang all the big roles, and I could do a full episode on him easily. One of his finest moments in his entire career was his performance of Don Ottavio at the Salzburg Festival with Dmitri Mitropoulos, that great towering figure of a conductor leading the Vienna Philharmonic. We'll hear him in the first portion of Dalla Sua Pace, and in the second half, I'm going to segue to a performance by the great American tenor from a previous generation, Charles Kuhlman. Kuhlman, who lived from 1903 to 1983, was born in Connecticut and attended Yale with the intention of studying medicine. However, then he transferred to Juilliard for advanced studies, and from there went to Europe, where he was engaged by Otto Klemperer and sang originally at the Theater in Berlin, followed by the Berlin Staatsoper, the Wiener Staatsoper, Covent Garden, Salzburg, etc., etc., etc. In 1935, he made his Met debut as Faust, and sang there for 25 years, eventually moving on to both larger roles such as Don José, Walter in Meistersinger, even Parsifal, and eventually character roles toward the end of his career. So he is a marvel. We're going to hear him in a 1942 Met broadcast under the baton of Bruno Walter singing the second portion of Dalla Sua Pace.
And to now, here's Charles Kuhlman. Tesoro, I have found two contrasting versions more than 50 years apart. For the first portion of the aria, we are going to hear the classic recording by the Irish tenor John McCormick. This is one of the cornerstones of his recorded output and, frankly, of the greatest recordings of all time. The ease with which he tosses off the coloratura, the breath control he exhibits, it is all a positively classic performance, which is justly celebrated and very seldom matched and certainly even more rarely equaled. I'm going to include the big phrase from both of the tenors that we're hearing today. The second one will be Alfredo Krauss. Now, everyone knows and remembers, I hope, the Spanish tenor for his taste, for his refinement, for his superb performances of the bel canto repertoire and of the French repertoire. But I wonder how many people remember that he was justly celebrated, especially in the earlier years of his career, as a Mozart tenor. And in 1969, at Lyric Opera of Chicago, he sang an unbelievably beautiful performance of Il Mio Tesoro. But first, here's McCormick. Oh, 
Alfredo Kraus, conducted by Ferdinand Leitner in Chicago, December 
Nozze di Figaro has amazing roles, but there's not much for the tenor to do. Don Basilio in Nozze di Figaro is more of a comic role, more of a character role. And in the fourth act, he does have an aria called In Quegli challenging to sing, and more frequently than not, simply cut from most these days one hears it a little bit more frequently, and there are a plethora of wonderful recordings of this, and I'm going to play for you today a performance by the Welsh tenor Ryland Davies. In the 60s and 70s, he was one of the premier Mozart tenors in the world. In February, he celebrated his 90th birthday, so this is a belated birthday shout-out to him. He was engaged to sing in Quegliani when Charles Macaris recorded his series of Mozart operas for Telarc Records in the 1990s. So, approximately 20 years after his heyday, you can hear that Ryland Davies was still singing quite beautifully in 1994. <laughs> Basilio stands in for all of those Mozart character tenor parts. Pedrillo in Abduction, Monostatos in Zauberflöte, and many others. Today we're primarily concerned with the primo tenore parts, 
Now we turn to one of the greatest Mozart tenor roles, Tamino, in Die Zauberflöte. I don't think we need to get into all of the discussion about the problematic plot and characterizations and racism and sexism and everything inherent in this piece. I'm not overlooking it, but I'm choosing today not to focus on it, okay? When I was a kid, this was the first Mozart opera that I ever heard in the first recording of Herbert von Karajan, which featured Anton der Mota as Tamino. We're going to hear him a little bit later in the podcast. Tamino has a number of exquisite moments, the first of which is his aria Dies Bildnis ist bezaubernd schön, when the Queen of the Night shows him the portrait of her daughter Pamina, whom he is to rescue from the clutches of her arch-nemesis Zarastro. Once again, I have two different contrasting performances to offer you, both exquisite beyond belief, both illustrations of exactly the kind of finesse and artistry that it takes to perform these roles effectively. We're going to begin with a 1938 recording by the great Richard Tauber. In the year 1937, Thomas Beecham recorded a complete edition of Magic Flute with the Berlin Philharmonic. But because of the encroaching regime of the Third Reich, two of his preferred singers, Richard Tauber as Tamino, and last week's featured singer Alexander Kipnis as Zarastro were nixed because of their Jewish heritage. In 1938, however, Tauber did record Tamino's aria with Karl Alvin leading the Wiener Symphonica. We're going to hear that for the first half of the aria. In the second half, we're going to switch to the Welsh tenor Stuart Burroughs, another great Welsh tenor alongside Ryland Davies, who celebrated his 90th birthday in February. He is one of the top singers of his era, and I have been an enormous fan of his since first hearing him in this Magic Flute recording made in 1969 under the baton of Georg Scholti. After his operatic debut in the year 1963, Stuart Burroughs rapidly found his place on all of the great operatic stages and concert platforms of the world. He was celebrated, yes, and revered for his Mozart performances, but also for his performances in the bel canto and the French repertoire. I love this wonderful a sort of rosiny timbre that he has and his enormous elan and vocal control. He's one of my favorite singers of all time, and it's only happenstance that I haven't yet done a full episode on him. That will come in time. Meanwhile, let's start with Talba in 1938. <laughs> 
of the first act, Tamino comes to the Temple of Wisdom and plays his magic flute to beguile all the wild beasts that are coming after him to impede him on his journey. This, of course, is a moment that is beloved of children the world over who go to the opera house to see this enchanting and enchanted moment. We're going to hear in this scene the Belgian-born German tenor Marcel Wittrich, who was a contemporary of Richard Tauber's and lived from 1901 to 1955. There were a number of marvelous German tenors from this era, and not just Tauber. Julius Patzak, Peter Anders, Helge Roswenge, the Dane who replaced Tauber in Beecham's Tauberflöte recording, 
This recording of Wie stark ist nicht dein Zauberton was made by Wittrich under the baton of Clemens Schmalstich leading the Berlin Staatsoper Orchestra. Wie stark ist nicht dein Zauberton weil to enter the second part of the episode, Mozart Tenors in Duet, one of the most exquisite of the Mozart Tenor duets comes in the second act of Die Zauberflöte, when Tamino and Pamina are finally reunited and pass through the water and the fire together with the aid of that very magic flute. There are so many exquisite performances of this, but I'm going to offer you a live one from the Salzburg Festival in 1964, featuring the unbeatable team of Austrian tenor Waldemar Kment, Spanish soprano Pilar Lorengar, and Hungarian conductor Istvan Kirtes. If you were to never hear anything from Pilar Lorengar other than this moment, you would name her one of the most glorious voices of all time. 
but there's so much more to hear of her, and I will be doing a full episode, I promise you. It may not come until next season, but I love her with all my heart. And Kment is no shrinking violet either. In fact, he's just one of a number of German and Austrian tenors in the 60s and 70s who were fine, fine singers, but that we won't be hearing today. Werner Krenn, Werner Holwig among them. There's something so special about Kment, who lived from 1929 to 2015 and sang a wide range of repertoire, including, of course, all the big Mozart parts and moving up to such Heldentenor roles as Walter in Meistersinger and the title role of Fitzner's Palestrina. He continued to perform character parts well into old age appearing finally at the Wiener Staatsoper in 2005 as the Haushofmeister in Ariadne. Istvan Kertes was one of the finest conductors of his era. He died tragically by drowning at the age of 43, but in his short life he was one of the towering conductors of his era.
Please forgive me for the tacky cut that I made in the middle of that duet. It's simply because of time constraints. Now let's have a few more duets, shall we? In the first act of Don Giovanni, there's a highly charged duet between Don Ottavio and Don Anna, as she discovers that her father has just been murdered by her would-be rapist, none other than the title character, Don Giovanni. There have been some amazing pairs of Don Anna and Don Ottavio, but one of the best Giovanni casts of all time was when Herbert von Karajan conducted the opera in Salzburg in the summer of 1960 with a cast that included Eberhard Wächter in the title role, Walter Berry as Leporello, the young Leontine Price as Donanna, and Italian tenor Cesare Valletti as Don Ottavio. About the young Leontine Price, one can only say that she is at her most refulgent-voiced and her early career best, the summer before she debuted at the Met. I have been collecting material for a Cesare Valletti episode, which I will be bringing to you very shortly within the next few weeks. Apart from his exquisite performances in bel canto roles in particular, but also in Mozart, Cesare Valletti, unusually for an Italian, was also a great interpreter of German Lieder. For a few years, he was a star tenor at the Met, and we will be getting into all of that when I do my Valletti episode. But for now, let's listen to this incendiary duet. Fuggi, crudele, fuggi. Thank you. 
is one of the greatest of the Mozart operas, and some think it's the greatest of all. So much depends these days on what the production looks like, because it's so easy for these characters to turn into caricatures or idiots or raving maniacs. There was a production in Munich in 1978, conducted by Wolfgang Savalisch, that featured an unbelievable cast, including as Ferrando, the German tenor Peter Schreier, and as Fjordiligi, the Welsh soprano Margaret Price. I've done episodes on both of these singers. They're among my very favorite, and both of them were in this repertoire beyond compare. At the premature death of Fritz Wunderlich, Peter Schreier got pushed into being a sort of an Ersatzwunderlich for a while, and it did not suit him because his voice was not of such tonal beauty as was Fritz's, and yet his qualities are so apparent and so satisfying on their own terms. His extraordinary musicianship, his attention to text, he was a great leader singer. He was among the greatest leader singers of his era. And frankly, another great leader singer was Margaret Price, who was not only the greatest of the Mozart divas of her era, but who also grew into one of the great Verdi sopranos, the entire time also remaining a scrupulous and passionate interpreter of leader. Those of you who've been listening to the podcast know how much I adore her. And this performance of the duet in which Fiordiligi finally gives in to Ferrando's pleadings is one of the greatest performances of this duet you could ever want to hear. Oh, ah. 
I had mentioned at the very beginning that we would be hearing a little bit more of La Finta Giardiniera, which in recent years has been increasingly featured on the world's operatic stages. I can't even begin to follow the plot, so I'm not even going to try, but this is the moment toward the very end of the opera in which Belfiore and the noblewoman Violante, disguised as the peasant woman Sandrina, finally come together. As Belfiore, we shall hear American tenor John Ayler, who died in December at the age of 73. As Violante slash Sandrina, we shall hear Roberta Alexander, who was featured just a few short weeks ago on Counter Melody in honor of her birthday. This is a live performance from Aix-en-Provence, in which Semyon Pichkov leads the Nouvelle Orchestre Philharmonique. <laughs> turn to Mozart's Entführung aus dem Serail. This is another deeply problematic piece, which is, oh my god, where do you even start with the problems of this piece? I myself am a big fan of reframing these pieces for contemporary audiences. Not everybody likes that sort of thing, but I saw the now legendary Calisto Pieto production at the Komische Oper in one of its last revivals in the early 2000s, and I found it bracing, challenging, graphic, tragic, everything, and it made the piece really live for me. Unlike the insultingly condescending production of Così that I just saw there a few weeks ago. That kind of reimagining makes me vomit. That I can do without. But back in the day, and we're going to go way back now for this first recording to the year 1916, these issues, racism, exoticism, misogyny, sexual enslavement, were evidently not foremost in people's minds. 
frankly, it's nice just to be able to excerpt the arias and duets and listen to them and hear them in all of their beauty, which, as I was inferring these days, is just too complicated and layered to ignore. I'm not sure a traditional quote-unquote production of Entführung would really work these days. Anyway, as I mentioned, we're back in the year 1916 for this recording, and we're going to hear one of opera's original power couples, the tenor Karl Erb and soprano Maria Ivogun, singing Welch ein Geschick, the last Mozart duet that we're going to hear today. I'm a big fan of Karl Erb, and I knew less of Maria Ivogun, who was born in Budapest, in 1891 and died in Switzerland in 1987. She and Karl Erb, a German tenor born in 1877 and died in 1958, were between the years 1921 and 1932 the power couple in opera. I did not know much of Ivo Gün, but she has impressed me mightily. She was one of the leading coloraturas of her era. She later became a voice teacher whose most famous student is my least favorite singer of all time, with the initials Betty Blackhead. In 1932, Ivo dumped Karl Erb to take up with the German pianist Michael Raucheisen, an important pianist of the era, whose legacy has nonetheless been tainted by his Nazi associations. It's always important to mention those things. Interestingly, Erb and Raucheisen continued to work together even after his wife had dumped him for his pianist. <laughs> Thank you. 
now we shall hear what I consider to be perhaps Mozart's greatest tenor arias, those written for the character Belmonte in Die Entführung aus dem Serail, The Abduction from the Seraglio. These are enormously challenging arias, some of which are even more difficult than others, and as a result, some of which are frequently cut in performance. But we're going to hear some pretty gorgeous performances of all of them. Directly after the overture, Belmonte appears on the stage and sings Hier soll ich dich denn sehen in this 1949 performance from Berlin. We shall hear the Slovene tenor Anton Dermota, who, along with Simono, was one of the great Mozart tenors of the 1950s. He lived from 1910 to 1989 and was a mainstay of the Wiener Staatsoper, eventually singing roles as big as Florestan in Fidelio and the title role of Smetana's Dalibor, but I think he's heard at his very best in any and all of the classic Mozart tenor roles. He has an immediately identifiable timbre and sterling musicianship, as well as a steady and firm technique that allowed him to sing Tamino at the Wiener Staatsoper to celebrate his 70th birthday. The conductor here is another great Hungarian maestro who died too young, Ferenc Fricai, whose Mozart opera recordings in particular for Deutsche Grammophon in the 1950s are justly celebrated.
Next, we're going to hear, again, a divided performance, if you will, of Ovi Engstlich. And we're going to hear, again, a lighter voice contrasting with a bigger, more dramatic sound. We're going to begin the aria with a performance from the year 1928 by the Hungarian tenor Kalman Pataki, who was more commonly known outside of Hungary as Koloman von Pataki. It was under this name that he appeared in early productions at the Gleinborn Festival under the baton of the legendary Fritz Busch singing the role of Don Ottavio. He lived from 1896 to 1964, and in 1928 appeared in the role of Daoud in the world premiere of Richard Strauss's Die Ägyptische Helena. His career was cut short in the 1940s after a leg amputation. He died in Los Angeles in 1964. For the second half of the aria, we shall switch to English, as performed by the American tenor John Alexander in a live performance from the year 1966 at the New York City Opera, led by Julius Rudell. John Alexander was a house tenor at both the Met and at City Opera. He could sing anything, and he sang it with enormous taste and refinement. But he's a singer that people really took for granted, I'm afraid. And as such, he was considered more reliable than inspired. I'm also planning an episode on this singer because I think he has been unjustly forgotten and even back in his day undervalued precisely because of his vocal and artistic versatility. From the Duke in Rigoletto to Polione in Norma, even eventually singing Bacchus in Ariadne, Walter in Meistersinger, and the title role of Lohengrin. He died suddenly of a heart attack in 1990 at the age of 67. His voice combined power and flexibility, such as one can hear even in this rather dimly recorded excerpt. But once again, for starters, here's Kalman Pataki in his 1928 
Alexander. shall hear of Belmontes is Wenn der Freude Tränen fließen. It is sung by the Dutch tenor John van Kesteren, who lived from 1921 to 2008. He was celebrated in the music of composers from Bach to Karl Orff 
and performed in the first German performance of Britain's War Requiem. I found this performance on an obscure, abridged recording of Entführung from the year 1955, which was conducted by Otto Ackermann, a name that might be familiar to record collectors. He lived from 1909 to 1960, born in Bucharest, with a career based primarily in Switzerland. challenging of Belmonte's arias, Ich baue ganz, one which, as I mentioned, is often cut. We're going to hear the oldest recording today from the year 1909, featuring the Latvian-born tenor Hermann Jatlovka, who lived from 1877 to 1953. This man was a dramatic coloratura tenor who could sing the shit out of pretty much anything as you hear in this dazzling performance of Ich baue ganz. The final arpeggiated roulades of the aria have proven the downfall of many a fine tenor. Yadlovka tosses them off as if they were child's play. <laughs> Oh. 
going to go into the next part of the episode, Mozart's concert arias for tenor. And we're going to hear some pretty amazing singing, so hold on to your hats and fasten your seatbelts, my friends. First off, we're going to hear an early concert aria of Mozart's Va dal furor portata, performed by Swedish tenor Juste Winberg. In this 1983 recording, Georgi Fischer leads the Wiener Kammer Orchestra. I must say a word about Juste Winberg, who lived from 1943 to 2002. Man, was he a great singer. There's something heroic in his timbre, even when he's singing something like Nimorino, an early assumption of his, or Almaviva, He moved so easily and smoothly into more dramatic repertoire, but I think he probably made his biggest mark singing the Mozart parts. Winberg is another of those amazing tenors who died early at the age of 58 in Vienna, having performed Floristan the previous evening. By this point, he had moved into the Jugendlich Dramatisch repertoire, and was featured in roles such as Lohengrin, Walter, the Kaiser in Frau Neuschatten, never losing the youthful vitality in his timbre, such as you hear in this challenging Mozart concert aria. Oh. 
other great Mozart tenor of that day is the Mexican Francisco Araita, whom I featured a couple years ago when he celebrated his 70th birthday. He also moved very smoothly and with ease over a wide range of repertoire, eventually singing roles such as Alvaro in Forza and, again, the medium-sized Wagner parts. He's heard here in the Mozart concert aria Si Mostra la Sorte in a live performance from Salzburg in June 1981. singer from a slightly earlier generation and another Swede is Nikolai Gedda, whom I recently profiled in an episode featuring his work in Art Song. He was a supreme Mozart interpreter as well, and again, had a very wide range of repertoire, but he stayed generally on the more lyric side of things, and rightly so, I think. Now, one of Mozart's most impressive concert arias for tenor is called Misero o Sogno. And again, I'm going to divide this aria kind of in half. And in the first half, we're going to hear Nicolai Gedda in a rare 1970 recording that was issued on an obscure Swedish label, which, of course, I have in my collection. For the second, more dramatic part of the aria, we're going to cut to a 1952 recording by another great African-American tenor, Charles Holland. In mid-career, Charles Holland moved with his family to Europe to seek 
better performing opportunities than he was able to find at that time in the United States. George Shirley has stated what an important influence he was on his own development. Holland was a beautiful lyric tenor who should have been heard the world over in roles such as Nemorino and all of the medium-weight Mozart roles. And yet, when he made his debut at the Paris Opera, it was in the role of Monostatos and not as Tamino. While he did have an estimable career and an amazing late career resurgence that was spearheaded by the conductor Dennis Russell Davies, nevertheless, he suffered under the scourge of racism to the point where he was being pushed into roles like Otello, for which he was by nature unsuited simply because of the color of his skin. In spite of this all, he retained his amazing voice and artistry to the very end of his life, which included a late career triumphant performance at Carnegie Hall. Charles Holland lived from 1909 to 1987, and therefore this 1952 recording finds him at his absolute prime. It was released on the Pate Marconi label in that year, and Arthur Goldschmidt leads the Orchestre de la Société des Concerts du Conservatoire. So once again, for starters, here's Nicolai Guetta in 1970. Spirit, 
and here is Charles Holland in 1952. <laughs> tenor that we have not yet touched on is the Swiss Ernst Hefliger, who lived from 1919 to 2007 and was the featured tenor on those recordings I mentioned earlier that Ferenc Fritschai made for Deutsche Grammophon of all the big Mozart operas. Hefliger had an immediately recognizable timbre, not one of great beauty, but one of integrity and musical refinement that made him one of the great Bach singers of his generation, one of the finest Mozart singers of his era, and one of the best Lieder singers of the 20th century. I heard him late in his career, 
in recital at the Pabst Theater in Milwaukee. And we're going to hear him now in a recording made in the year 1983 when he was in his 64th year, singing with nearly unimpaired voice and technique. This is an excerpt from the concert aria Per Pietà Non Ricercate. Jörg Ivaldela leads the English Chamber Orchestra. <laughs> Mozart tenor roles for more dramatic voices. Two of those, of course, are the role of Tito in La Clemenza di Tito and the title role in Idomeneo. So we're going to wind up the episode with a few examples of distinguished singers in that repertoire. First, the British tenor Philip Langridge singing the role of Tito in a 1993 recording with Nikolaus Hanokur. I like certain isolated moments from this opera. I don't think that Tito has the most fantastic music of all to sing, but this is one of his shining moments. Sialimpero. Philip Langridge lived from 1939 to 2010. He's another singer who had great vocal longevity and performed right up until his death at the age of 70. At the time of this recording, he was in his mid-50s, 
and this recording also stars the great soprano Lucia Pop in her final recorded performance as Vitalia. speaking earlier of musicians with complicated associations with the Third Reich, and one of those, of course, is the Austrian conductor Karl Böhm, whose legacy, I would say, has only been recently really put under the microscope. But he's still celebrated, and justly so, on pure musical terms, for his Mozart, Strauss, and Wagner performances in particular. In the year 1979, toward the end of his life, he made a classic recording of Idomeneo with the Staatskapelle Dresden that also starred Julia Varady, Edith Matis, and Peter Schreier, and in the title role, Polish tenor Wiesław Ochman, who in February celebrated his 86th birthday. There were a lot of Mozart tenors celebrating a long life in the month of February apparently. He is a singer I enormously admire, one whose career could embrace roles as varied as Don Ottavio, he has an amazing recording of Il Mio Tesoro, to Verdi. He appeared, for instance, at the Met in I Vespri Siciliani opposite Renata Scotto. I've been collecting his recordings for a while and hope to do a full episode on him as well. He was fantastic also in Russian, Polish, and Slavic opera. We shall hear him in an excerpt from the aria Vedrom intorno l'ombra dolente, from that 1979 recording with Karl Böhm.
podcast, I have been singing the praises of young baritone Hugh Montague Rendell, who made a wonderful showing in the title role of Ambroise Thomas' Hamlet recently at the Komische Oper in Berlin. His parents are among the most important British singers of the 80s and 90s, tenor David Rendell and mezzo-soprano Diana Montague. I featured them all on my Holy Week episode a few weeks ago. And now we are going to once again hear David Rental. He's another one of those tenors who moved so comfortably and so naturally and smoothly from lighter roles at the beginning of his career to much heavier parts, including not just Idomeneo, which he sang the shit out of, frankly, to roles such as Canio in Pagliacci and Radames in Aida. We're going to hear him in a dynamite performance of Fuor del Mar from Idomeneo, the most taxing of all tenor moments in Mozart operas. There are many singers who have done, who have taken on the part of Idomeneo and had impressive success, including the Welsh tenor Richard Lewis, who only because I'm planning a full episode on him I left out today, Araiza, Winberg, and others, even Pavarotti. Not all of them were able to sing for Del Mar without a cut, but David Rendell does, and one has to hark back to Jadlovka's recording in the early years of the century, in my opinion, to find his match. This is a live recording from February 1986. <laughs> 
episode is coming to an end. Finally. I hope you've taken my advice and listened to it in portions. This is, might be one of the longest episodes I've ever produced. I could have broken it up into pieces, but guess what? I didn't. Don't know why. I should have. But there are a number of young singers out there today who are carrying on the mantle of these great singers of the past. I know I'm always complaining, maybe not on the podcast, but certainly in my private life, about what I find to be a lack of seriousness of intent in some of the singers of today. But thanks to a friend of mine on Facebook, I discovered the British tenor Alex Banfield this week. In December 2020, he posted a demo of himself singing from yet another of Mozart's most taxing parts, the title role of Mitridate. And I was so taken with his rock-solid centering in his body, a technique that allows him to cover leaps from one extreme of the range to the other, and a seriousness of musical intent that impressed me so deeply. So here he is in a portion of the aria, Se di Lauri il Crini Adorno. Oh, 
finally. And I'm really going to try not to get too choked up about this. (sighs) But I want to feature my dear friend, Jerry Hadley, singing the role of Idamante in Idomeneo. This is a role that can be taken either by mezzo-soprano or tenor, depending on which edition of the opera is being performed. And in the summer of 1983, Jerry performed it under the baton of Bernard Heitink and gave it a performance that reveals all that was so treasurable about him as a musician, as a singer, as the supreme Mozart tenor of his day, and one of the finest lyric tenor voices that this country has ever produced. It was my great joy to be a close friend of Jerry's in the last years of his life. He worked with me on some of his roles as he was moving into bigger repertoire, and my friends, it was all still there. He was a man of such warmth, such passion, such vitality, and I mourn his tragic passing to this very day. I dedicate the full episode to him, and I hope that you will enjoy this performance of Nono Colpa.
friends. Thank you for joining me on this journey. You know, I forgot to even mention my Patreon page, but if you do want to support the podcast, if you're inspired to do so, please go to patreon.com slash countermelody, and you can make your contribution to help with the care and upkeep, not just of me, but of the podcast. Being one who will shamelessly push an animal in front of you in a plea for your sympathy, I'm not too proud to prop up the kitty cat that I have been sitting for in New York these past couple weeks. This is Callisto. What? Thank you. I'm going to end the episode today with Fritz Wunderlich once again singing from one of the more obscure Mozart pieces, his uncompleted Singspiel Zaide, most famous, of course, for providing us with the ethereal soprano aria Ruhe Sanft, Mein Holdes Leben. But there are some beautiful moments for the tenor as well, and we shall hear Fritz closing off the episode with Vakra Freund, Voll tiefer Scham, a live performance from Stuttgart in October 1956. Das Schwerste nicht vollbringen, alles wage ich jetzt zu zwingen, alles, alles. Song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach. <laughs>